Hello, EA Global. Okay, welcome to the largest gathering of effective altruists the world has ever seen. Yeah, good. Um, and yeah, I want to echo Kat, just looking around the room. Um, of the people I know, this is just like the most awesome gathering of like the most socially motivated, ambitious, friendly, and just generally bloody awesome people um, of everyone I know in the world. And so on a personal note, it's quite exhilarating and also kind of overwhelming to be able to see so many people that I know and love from all areas of the globe. So I'm super excited. And I think you should all take a second. Um, I'll just pause my speaking for the moment. Just to introduce yourselves um, to people around you, say who you are, where you're from, how you got involved in effective altruism, and just generally say hi, because you're going to be making a lot of friends over this weekend. So now's a good time to start. So go for it. Yeah. Okay, good, that worked. Thank you, Tofa, for that innovation. Uh, so there are 400 people at this talk, and if you include all the effective altruism global events, that's 700 people worldwide. Uh, the EA Summit in 2013 had 75 people. The mathematically astute among you will notice that's over 300% growth. That means in just 15 years, everyone in the world will be attending an EA global <laughs> talk. Shortly after that, the entire world will only be effective altruism global continuously, and we'll need to add to population size to keep the rate of growth going. But that'll be fun too. Uh, so about, I think a third of you are pretty new to these ideas, and so this is going to be a kind of intro talk. I'm going to talk a bit about what effective altruism actually is, where it came from, the history, some of the cool things that have been happening over the last year, and then finally, and most importantly, how to get the most out of this conference. Along the way, we'll go on a slight digression um, about my book as well. Uh, okay, so what is effective altruism? Well, here's a quote to describe it. Effective altruism, efforts that actually help people rather than making you feel good or helping you show off, is one of the great new ideas of the 21st century. Now, that's pretty high praise. You might think, well, that's something your mom might say, or maybe like someone who's really, really involved with the EA community. It's something like Eliezer would say. It's pretty hyperbolic. <laughs> Um, I like Kelly, I like, I, I like hyperbole, um, but no, the person who said that was Stephen fucking Pinker. Um, he's not even particularly involved, he's a kind of spectator. This is a comment not from a movement he's pushing himself, something he has a vested interest in. This is just actually how he's describing things. So what is this idea? Well, I think effective altruism has two key parts. Firstly, is figuring out how to do the most good. And secondly is doing it. Now this might seem kind of trivial. It might seem not the most controversial of uh, ideas. In fact, you might think, why haven't loads of people already said this? But we've already had a whole bunch of criticism, um, much less so than other sort of social movements of our uh, size, but certainly we've still had a bit. In the last conference, we talked a lot about the article from the CEO of Charity Navigator, which referred to us throughout the article as defective altruism. Um, which I actually really like as a term, I kind of want to own it, because um, I think we are just all really defective, and part of the movement is about appreciating the ways in which we really suck as reasoners and as actors and trying to get better. Um, but we've had a bit more recently as well, and, um, now and for the philosophers in the room, you'll appreciate uh, the note that we have a, a new critic of um, effective altruism, Brian Leiter. Um, 
So he runs the main philosophy blog, and now it refers to us only as effective sick altruism, which is the kind of sequel to defective altruism. Among other things he doesn't like include vegetarians and people who give to charity, who he refers to as true believers. Um, in general, he thinks the best way to do good is uh, to um, complain about, strongly about how capitalism should be overthrown while in a comfy, tenured position as a professor in Chicago Law School. Um, if you want to read more about this, Eliezer has uh, a wonderful tirade on Facebook about some of this. <laughs> and so we're all in favor of criticism, but some is better than others. Okay, there's a little bit more to effective altruism than just this trivial thing of figure out how to do the most good and then do it. And I think the way you can characterize this is in terms of virtues that effective altruism wants to embody. And the first one is excitement about doing good. And not just doing good, but doing the most good. So there's this very popular slogan, make a difference. That's what you want to do if you want to have a social impact. Whereas we're about making the most difference. We're about maximizing. And what's more, we're not about maximizing within some specific cause area. This is, again, how most people approach attempts to do good. They find some cause they feel particularly passionate about, and then they want to focus on that cause as much as possible. They think, oh, well, I really love football, and now I'm concerned about poverty, so I'm going to introduce football to the poor. Um, this is an actual example of someone I know. But uh, it's, the idea behind effective altruism is caring about doing good per se, just whatever it takes to make the world a better place. And that we call cause neutrality. So it means that maybe you're most passionate about extreme poverty right now, and you think that's the best way to make the world a better place. But that's all that's going to be provisional. Maybe you'll get really good arguments for thinking you should focus on something else instead. Uh, maybe that's open science or factory farming or global catastrophic risks or criminal justice reform. Part of the idea of being excited by doing the most good means all your best guesses about how to do the most good are always provisional. The other part of this virtue is the excitement aspect. Uh, so a number of us were very influenced by Peter Singer, and Peter Singer for a long time was championing the idea we have strong moral obligations to help um, people in poor countries. And, you know, I think he's right about that. But I think that's not what effective altruism is about particularly. Because what's really amazing is that actually most people, even aside from moral obligations, you don't need to use words like that at all. Most people really want to make, do good. In fact, everyone in this room um, does. Even if I thought I didn't have any moral obligations at all, I'd still be really excited about making the world a better place. And I think many of us, certainly myself, spent uh, many years feeling intense kind of moral guilt and angst that I wasn't doing enough. But then when it was introduced and I realized it's not something I should feel you know, guilty about, it's actually a really exciting opportunity I have to make the world a better place. So E is about excited, being excited about what we're doing. The second aspect is taking a scientific approach um, to doing good. And that means using the highest quality evidence we can, using the best forms of reasoning we can. That doesn't just mean only looking at randomized control trials, um, because there are many things that are more speculative than that, but we can still take a scientific approach. And the way I cash this out is in terms of kind of five concepts. So one is uh, actually thinking about the consequences of your actions. And in particular, cashing out the impact of the consequences of your actions in terms of how they affect um, people's lives. How much do they improve people's lives? Second is to think about counterfactuals. Think about what would happen otherwise. You could do huge amounts of good work helping loads of people. But if that all would have happened otherwise, then your actual improvement to the world would be zero. 
A third thing is uh, thinking on the margin. So lots of people, when they think about doing good, they think, well, what if everyone um, did that? But they would often ask that even if it's clearly the case that not everyone's going to do that. Whereas something that's characteristic of the effective altruist way of thinking is thinking, okay, given how everyone else is acting, what's the best I can do on the margin, given that? And that means often looking for particularly neglected causes. Um, and that often means doing stuff that's comparatively weird um, uh, within the realm of charity. But it's weird, because it's weird, it's actually an argument in favor that means fewer people are dedicating resources to this. A fourth concept is the idea of expected value. And this helps us um, really get to grips with these kind of more speculative causes, um, things where you can't immediately quantify the impact. And that's just to say that the way to do good is to look at the uh, probability of you being successful and how good that would be. And that means that more speculative things, things that probably won't pay off, could still be a very good thing to do if the payoff were uh, good enough if you were successful. And then the final concept is to focus on the very best things. And the concept from statistics that's really useful is the idea of a fat tail distribution, that most of the impact can, can come from the very best things you do. And that means it's not enough to just say, okay, we want to do good and throw as many resources at just good things as possible. Because even within the realm of very good activities, the best activities are far greater than typical ones. Within the idea of the scientific mindset, that also means being honest, being transparent, being self-skeptical. This is something I think is particularly hard when you're trying to kind of build a social movement because obviously you're talking about things of great moral importance. It's very easy to get very passionate, very worked up about that. And if someone disagrees to you to think, well, this person's an idiot, this person's immoral, it's terrible. Whereas if we really want to do the most good, you've got to be very aware of our own fallibility. And that means if you come into contact with people of other views, um, trying as best you can to understand those other views. And then in terms of your own development, trying to be as transparent and honest as you can so that you can correct your own mistakes. Then the final aspect of effective altruism is just being action-oriented. So I'm a philosopher. Many of the founding people are philosophers. We're not really known for taking action on things. Kind of more known for sitting in an armchair than thinking. But this is what makes effective altruism different. Um, where actually, you know, if we just come up with ideas and debate them and have discussions, but then never actually do anything as a result, well, we've not really achieved anything of value. So the absolute key when we're talking about these ideas um, is to think, how can I put them into the practice? What does this mean for me right now? And so taking this all into, together, effective altruism consists of the desire to do as much good as you can, the use of evidence and reason uh, to work out how best to do so, and then the audacity to actually try. And so I'll talk a little bit about where effective altruism came from. This also helps you understand that we've got this broader idea, but then a particular set of people and projects um, that have led us to where we are. And so one thing to think about in the course of this conference is, well, what other things could we be doing instead? How much of the actions we're taking at the moment are as a result of wanting to do the most good? How much is just path dependence? Just to, because things happen to turn out that way. Um, and so the history of effective altruism, I've represented this in a Google Trends on the search term effective altruism. Um, and I think that's actually kind of accurate. It's like maybe a bit of a delay by a couple of years. But there were, I think, about three different strands that really led to the community as it is now. So 
In my personal case, in 2009, I was extremely concerned by global poverty, very convinced by Peter Singer's arguments, um, but feeling very stressed, and no one seemed to be doing anything about it. I was giving sort of 5% of my graduate stipend at the time, and I was thinking, I'm like so model for doing this, like I'm doing so much more than everyone else. But then I met this guy, Toby Ord, um, who was another academic. And we were actually meeting to have an intellectual, like an academic conversation uh, because I had this idea for the thesis and wanted to talk to him about it. And I noticed on his website, he said, oh, and I give the required amount. And I just thought, that's a bullshit. Like, all these philosophers I've talked to, they always say they want to, like, you know, going to act on these arguments and how important global poverty is, but they never actually do. And then I met him, and this was in a graveyard in Oxford, which is... Uh, <laughs> Um, not as creepy as it sounds um, in my college. It kind of, the graveyard doubles as a, uh, a gardens. Um, there's not that much space. They need to like, kind of conserve, uh, you know, multitask. Uh, and then Toby started telling me about giving what we can. Um, and he said that he planned to give away everything he earned, above £20,000 per year. And again, he wasn't like, oh, because I feel like that's what I ought to do. He was saying, this is an amazing opportunity. Um, I am lucky to be born into the richest few percentile of the world's population. This gives me an amazing opportunity to do good in the world. So he was very excited indeed. And at the time, in fact, he was, uh, I think, living on 9,000, uh, saving 2,000, and then donating further 2,000 of his stipend. So he was really go going for it, and it just kind of blew me out of the water. But then the other thing was just how in-depth he'd already thought about these things. So I was used to having arguments with about, say, vegetarianism with people, and it would always boil down to like, oh, are animals sentient or not? And it would be very abstract and high level. Whereas he would be able to tell me kind of in concrete detail, yeah, don't buy prawns, because even if you don't care about prawns, there's 17 kilograms of bycatch for every kilogram of prawns you buy, and so that's enough of an argument. He would actually know the consequences in absolute depth. And he started telling me about giving what we can, which is an idea to set up a community of people donating at least 10% of uh, their income over the course of their lives and to the charities that are very most cost-effective. And so I was meant to meet him for the coffee for like 20 minutes or something. That turned into five hours. If you know Toby, you're very unsurprised by that. Um, I can talk the hind legs off a donkey. And then I came back, and uh, I was meant to have a dinner meeting, and I was just taking notes because I was just so excited by these ideas. Um, and I kind of forced my help on him. He didn't really want a volunteer, but he got one. Um, he asked me to like, come up with pictures for the website, and I created this huge spreadsheet of all the different possible pictures kind of ordered. And, uh, you could tell I was, he wasn't, wasn't going to get away with for me. And so we co-founded Giving What We Can in 2009, and uh, the media loved the story of Toby and his pledge to give. Uh, so it's the most popular story in uh, the UK um, and it was in every major national newspaper, internationally syndicated, and so on. And that really gave a catalyst. It meant that all these people around the world who were um, very kind of on board in principle, had been thinking similar things, suddenly saw this as the kind of locus point for trying to do more good and to do it more effectively. That was one strand. Second strand was uh, GiveWell. So Holden Konovsky and Nelly Hassenfeld, they were working at Bridgewater. This was 2006, 2007. And they were thinking, look, I want to start giving to charity. Um, and just like any other purchasing decision I make, I want to know what I'm getting. I want to buy whatever gets me the best value. And they thought this was quite an obvious thing to think. So they started phoning up. So they started looking for information online about what different charities did and the impact they had. And they didn't actually get much. So they started phoning up charities. 
and asking pretty basic questions like, what do you do? Um, what will you do with the money I will give you? Do you have any evidence for thinking this program works? And the charities didn't give them any answers. In fact, one charity was so skeptical of them that that charity phoned up Bridgewater and tried to get Holden fired because they thought that he must be a spy for another charity. Um, and so they were kind of amazed by this and thought, well, okay, this is clearly very important. Someone's got to do this. And so they co-founded GiveWell back in 2007 um, to do extraordinarily in-depth research to work out what charities are very most effective. And then maybe the third strand that kind of led into this community was uh, the rationalist community, primarily based here in the Bay, where the means in was thinking about how we're these incredibly biased creatures. As Kahneman and Tversky showed, we just suffer from all these cognitive defects. We're actually just not very good at reasoning or even achieving our aims. And so the project of the rationalist community was to say, how can we overcome these biases? How can we, um, how can we reason better? What tools can we use to um, better achieve our goals? And the thing about this is that it's not, you know, your goals could be anything. Um, that's not a part of the project. Yet what's really exciting to see is that within this community, everyone thought, well, yeah, what are my preferences? What ultimately do I want out of life? And most people thought, I really want to make the world a better place. Um, and that naturally led to the same approach of thinking about maximizing, thinking very carefully about rationality, um, naturally segued into the effective altruism movement as well. And since that time, things have really exploded. So out of giving what we can came 80,000 hours, which is a similar idea but applied to time. How can you use your time as effectively as possible through your career to make the world a better place? We launched Center for Effective Altruism. And that, um, so you know, I was talking about 2007. Um, as the time, or 2009, is when things kicked off. But the term effective altruism was rather late to the scene. Um, we actually had a number of terms. We all realized this was a very important idea, but no one had uh, stuck in a term yet. There were different things, optimal philanthropy, smart giving, strategic altruism, rational altruism. The most common term was actually super hardcore do-gooders which was a disaster of a term. And so it was really that one that made me think, uh, okay, we've got to think of something better. And again, we drew up a big spreadsheet and then took some vote about all the different terms. And then there was like several rounds of voting as to what the hell this term should be. And so when we set up Center for Effective Altruism, uh, which is the umbrella group for all of the Oxford effective altruist organizations, um, we said, okay, we're going to just stick with effective altruism. And I think everyone was pretty happy that the coordination problem had been solved. And suddenly that term just really picked up. We expected it not to be um, very meme at all. We expected it just to be something that internal people would talk about. But it was a concept that everyone got immediately and really took off in a big way. And since then, the community has just exploded. Um, now Center for Effective Altruism has a number of other projects that you're going to hear about. GiveWell partnered up with Good Ventures, um, uh, Carrie Tuna and Dustin Moskowitz Foundation, um, forming the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, CIFAR was founded, Center for Applied Rationality here in the Bay. There's new projects, Raising for Effective Giving, which raises money from poker players in Switzerland. Um, uh, one of my favorite projects, Charity Science, the fundraisers for GiveWell top recommended charities based in Canada. And there's many, many more that you're going to hear about. And things have really been pretty amazing. In the last year in particular, we've just seen astonishing achievements, astonishing growth. Uh, so GiveWell, for example, 
at the end of 2014 had raised $28 million for its top recommended charities. Um, to put that in context, that's uh, 9,000 families whose um, household incomes have been doubled. That's 1.5 million malaria nets distributed and 7 million children uh, treated of worms. These are absolutely huge numbers. With the Open Philanthropy Project, they distributed $8 million of grants uh, to a wide variety of um, more difficult to quantify causes. So that includes criminal justice reform in the US, macroeconomic policy, um, open science, uh, better international labor mobility, um, and risks of global catastrophe. Um, back in Oxford, again, we've seen huge growth. Giving what we can has now hit over 1,000 members um, who together have pledged $450 million in lifetime donations to the most cost-effective charities. 80,000 hours got into Y Combinator, which is the premier startup accelerator in the world. It's, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy about that too. Um, but importantly, it's a secret. You can't tell anyone until Monday, because that's when the press release comes out. So don't tweet that or Facebook it. I know I saw some of you with your phones, because uh, you're that excited. Uh, uh, CEA also launched Global Priorities Project, which is a think tank trying to do policy research related to effective altruist causes, and has already provided advice to the highest levels of UK government. Um, another um, very astonishing um, fact about the last year has been the rise in popularity of concern um, or see, and serious discussion about the benefits and risks of developments in artificial intelligence. Uh, and that's been through great work from the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford, in particular Nick Boston's book, Superintelligence, and he'll be talking tomorrow. Also, Center for the Study of Existential Risks in Cambridge, Future of Life Institute at MIT, and uh, Machine Intelligence Research Institute here in the Bay. Um, this all led to a watershed conference about um, artificial intelligence uh, and Elon Musk pledging $10 million to fund efforts to think about um, what's the kind of safe, sustainable way to develop, make improvements in artificial intelligence uh, with the Open Philanthropy Project um, uh, adding a million dollars into that as well. So things have been exceptionally exciting. Um, final thing is Peter Singer's book, The Most Good You Can Do, came out a few months ago, um, which I think is the first book on effective altruism. Um, it got an awful lot of media attention. Um, people were really talking about these ideas, very interesting, including an op-ed by Nick Kristoff in the New York Times, which is very exciting indeed. Um, and then maybe the most recent development, just a few um, days ago, you can see what's coming. <laughs> My book! <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is Doing Good Better. Um, I spent most of last year writing it. And it's aiming to be like the introduction to the effective altruism movement. Um, written in a style that's like at least attempting to be like free economics or the tipping point or that sort of popular science style. And so it's the idea is if someone's like, oh, that effective altruism sounds kind of cool, how can I read more? You can give them this, and they'll get at least 40% kind of, of the way um, into understanding some of these ideas. Um, and it's out right now, already been a ton of attention in places like the Atlantic, which Bill Gates tweeted about. That was really cool. And I've been told he almost certainly is going to read it. Uh, not guaranteed, but he's a busy man, I suppose. Uh, the Atlantic, Time, Forbes, um, coming out in the New Yorker, Sunday Times, Independent. So already an awful lot of attention. And hopefully you've all received a copy. Um, I'm happy to sign copies any time during the weekend, and I'll have a 
dedicated session on Sunday where I, I can do so. Um, but things about book sales, uh, two facts. One is that they follow a power law distribution, like so many things. So the very biggest selling books just far surpass all the others. And the second is that it's, there's kind of snowball effect. So things that go very well to begin with um, tend to continue going well. The media hoards around it, and that, um, that means that kind of success continues. And that's why we're going to go on another brief digression, and I'm going to encourage you all to use social media as much as you can. Um, and if you want to get on your phones and the Google free Wi-Fi, tweet about it. Only if you think it's good. Or if you think it's bad, tweet about that too. Um, but yeah, tweet about it. Post on social media if you want to write an Amazon review or something. Um, or at least make a note to do so. Okay, do that right now. I forgot to say this in part of the story of the founding of Giving What We Can. So Alan Fennick, who I didn't know was going to be here, but I'm very happy to be here. Founder of Schistos and Mouse's Control Initiative. One of the most cost-effective charities on the planet. He gave the opening talk at the launch of Giving What We Can. And his intro line was, imagine if you found a worm in your stool. <laughs> and I will never f forget that as an in opener to a talk. Um, really good way to have something, an image that stays with you. Uh, okay, cool. And if you don't get a chance to do that now, that's be, you know, um, a great way to hopefully spread, um, spread the ideas of effective altruism, try and get more people on board to do more good and do it more effectively. So now let's bring it back to the conference. Um, I think there are two things throughout this conference. If there were just two things you had to bear in mind, it would be these two. And firstly is about radical life changes. So something that's really remarkable about effective altruism is just how big the life changes that some people make. Um, so in my own case and in Toby's case, it's a decision to give away most of our income over the course of our lives. When I discovered these ideas, I switched my research topic. I decided we you know, co-founded a charity, something I never thought I'd do. Other people have made radical changes. I know uh, people who've moved from uh, spending their entire life focused on poverty, then animals, then um, uh, global catastrophic risks. Switching cause areas is something very rare to see. And also switching careers as well. And that often happens as a result of this conference, because suddenly you're surrounded by huge number of very smart people who've thought in the same way, and you can use this to help yourself figure out how to do the most good. And so one thing I think you should think about is, in the course of uh, this conference, what's the most massive radical life change that I could plausibly make that could change, or I could be influenced as a result of this conference? So in my case, um, so I recently took up a professorship at Oxford, was very happy about that, um, very lucky to get this kind of opportunity. Um, but it's like quite a big time cost. So the you know, question on my mind, and I'm sure will be in my mind for a long time, is should I continue as an academic? Should I just quit and just focus on doing the non-profit, you know, pure effective altruism stuff full time? That's the sort of thing where I think, if through talking to people at this conference, that's maybe a radical change that I could make in my life. Um, and so I'm going to take a couple of minutes out again. I again want to talk you to talk to some of the four or five people around you um, and have a think about What's this one question? What's this one thing that would be the really big life change that you could plausibly make? And then throughout the conference, you can use this as a kind of icebreaker. So rather than like, oh, you jet lagged, you can say, what's the most radical fundamental change you can make to your life? <laughs> um, and that'll get us in the mood as well. So um, have two, two minutes to um, chat about that so you can actually think of this question.
Okay, thank you, everybody. Yeah, start clapping again. This is a good innovation. Okay, I'll only talk for... Hey, everybody. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, I'll only talk for two minutes because that was number one question. But then I think there's a second question that you should also bear in mind. So the first one was about what should my goals be? What should I actually be aiming to do in my life? Um, the second, though, is, well, how can I achieve those as well as, well as possible? And one of the things that's just really exciting and kind of exhilarating about this community is because we all have the sh same shared goals, there's no such thing as trade. There's no such thing as tit for tat. If I can help someone else to achieve their goals, well, that's me achieving mine as well because we're all together trying to make the world as good a place as possible. And that opens up the possibility for radical collaboration in a way that, uh, you know, you just can't really get in other communities. And it's very exciting. So I've seen people, um, you know, a friend who wanted to learn to code but just didn't have the resources. So someone else just loaned him money to do so. Um, in a way that maybe you'd see in a family or something, but it's kind of like we are just a very big family. Um, and so the other thing I think you should just feel very open to do, and I'm speaking to the Brits in particular who might be uh, kind of too reticent to do that, is just to say, okay, well, what are you looking for right now? What do you most need? So again, in my own case, this would be um, Center for Effective Altruism, certainly looking for people to hire, so web development, um, researchers, uh, people with really good sales skills or marketing as well. That would be something that I'd really like to get out of this conference. That would be amazing. Um, people who know big promoters who want to talk about the book, for example. That would be another thing. And I think, again, just spend like a couple of minutes uh, where you can each talk to each other and say, you each just say, okay, this is most what I most want to get out of the conference. And then you can, the other people in the room can, uh, the other people you're talking to can say, okay, well, actually, maybe I can help with that. Um, and so I think we should try and encourage each other to do that as much as possible. So again, two minutes. Okay, EA Global. Yeah, do we need to clap? I kind of like this clapping. I think that should be the third theme of the conference is just to clap all the time. It's kind of nice. Um, okay, so those are the two things that I think you should bear with you. Bear with yourself like all the way through. What massive fundamental changes could I make in the course of this conference? What are the really big changes I could make to my life? And then secondly, what are the partners, what are the collaborations that I could um, get in the course of this conference that would help me achieve my goals? So sorts of things I'd love to see, you know, people working together on new projects, people getting hired, suggestions for how people could uh, change their careers, getting set up with mentors, um, or people founding maybe even whole new organizations as well. These are some of the things I'd love to see coming out of the conference. And I think you should just be kind of really gung-ho as you can um, about trying to make that happen. So this is the conference. Um, I think you're all going to have an amazing time. I think it's really exciting. Um, everyone in this room is super awesome or you wouldn't be here. Um, and so you might ask, where is all this going? And so I'll say the same as I said last year, towards a maximally happy world. Okay, thank you.